It was 11 years ago this fall, early November. I was in my very first appointment as a pastor in the United Methodist Church, and I desperately wanted it to go well. I wanted to be successful. I wanted the church people to like me. I wanted to believe that the previous five years of prayer and study and preparation were going to be worth it and were going to make some difference in my life and in the life of the people who I came to serve there in Arlington. And along with all that excitement and all that possibility of serving this new church and new job and new community, my wife Donna and I were preparing to have a new baby. Our daughter Ella was being born that fall. And when she was born on October 24th of that year, we were ecstatic. We had made all the preparations that new parents make. So the nursery was all ready. And there was the crib, and we had a stack of diapers and those cute onesies that the babies wear. And I even took some paternity leave so that I could be away from work and at home with mother and baby. We were ready. Everything was perfect. Except someone forgot to tell my sweet baby Ella that at nighttime, human beings are supposed to do this awesome thing called sleep. Oh, sleep. How we longed for it. How we dreamed of it. But not Ella. Not Ella, you see. Because around the time that most normal human beings are going to bed and going to sleep, Ella began to cry. And she cried for hours and hours and hours. Ella had colic from an undiagnosed dairy allergy, and she cried a lot. So that was hard on us, but I was there to help, right? I'm the faithful husband, I'm the doting father, I'm present, I'm reliable, except uh, there is this one teensy-weensy little thing. Brad, uh, do you suppose you could please come to the staff retreat that we're having? I know you're on paternity leave, but we'd really like you to be there. So I said, yes, I'm a team player, you know. Uh, The the retreat only happens once a year. Besides, it's only for one night away. So off I went with the staff on the staff retreat. And even though my body was at the retreat center, my brain and my heart were back at home with my wife and my new daughter. And I talked to my wife Donna on the phone that evening, and this is what it sounded like on my end. Hi, honey, how you doing? Uh, not so good, huh? Three hours straight, she's been crying. Oh. Well, should I come home? Are you sure? Are you sure? You, you don't sound fine. Well, nothing, nothing. Okay, I love you. Bye. Crash and burn, friends. That was a bad, bad night. Wipeout. Zero points. Zero points for Brad, the new father on that night. So let me just say, I will never do that again. I will never, ever do that again. Friends, today we begin a new sermon series called You Make Me Crazy. We are talking about healthy boundaries and healthy relationships. By the way, let me say it's so good to be back up here with you again after two weeks off from preaching, let me say how grateful I am to Pastor Matt 
for bringing the message a couple weeks ago, and to our student ministry for their leadership last Sunday. What an awesome youth mission Sunday we had, and to the young ladies who gave their testimony and told their story. That is so awesome, and I'm so grateful to them and to this church that makes that possible. During the next six weeks, including today, we are talking about relationships, and especially about those people who make you crazy. You know the people I'm talking about? The people who try to control you, the the people you have a hard time saying no to. Every one of us has crazy makers in our life. And so we're going to talk about those things. We're going to talk about our tendency to be people pleasers. We're going to talk about how we can find better ways to resolve conflict in our lives. We're going to talk about how to find peace in our relationships. And finally, we are going to end this series by talking about ultimate boundaries of life and death with a discussion on suicide. So I want you to make plans right now to be here on September 24th. I want to encourage you, invite your friends, invite your family, invite those in your neighborhood who you know have been affected by suicide. We're going to talk about the kind of spiritual problems that leave some human beings in a place where they would feel like that is the only way out of the pain that they are experiencing. We're going to talk about warning signs. We're going to talk about how we can help, and we're going to talk about uh, how to find some hope and some encouragement in Jesus Christ and in the Scriptures in the midst of this awful, awful reality that we face in this world. So for today, friends, we are talking about relationships, and it occurs to me that one of the first things that we learn about relationships, probably sometime in elementary school, when you realize there's that one kid who hates your guts, For no apparent reason, we learn very early that relationships are complicated, right? Relationships are complicated. In my own experience, when I was uh, having a new daughter, Ella, and I was juggling, you know, the needs of my wife and my daughter and the expectations of my boss and my coworkers and and trying to find a way to, to be present and available to all of these people, I realized this is complicated. I struggled to figure out what is the right thing to do. So let's dig into the Scriptures together. Look with me now at Galatians chapter 6. Paul is talking about these kinds of dynamics. And this is what the tension feels like to me. Look at Galatians 6, 2 through 5, or portions of it. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. Okay, right, we've heard that before. Makes sense. We're supposed to help each other, right? Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, and then Paul says, all must test their own work, for all must carry their own loads. Do what now? (laughs) Paul, are you serious? You're killing me. Which is it? Is it bear one another's burdens? Or is it carry your own load? Because those seem like two different things to me. On the one hand, I'm responsible for other people, okay? On the other hand, I'm really just responsible for myself, which is it? And of course, the answer is yes and. It's both, isn't it? The Scriptures call us to not only take responsibility for our own lives and be accountable to God and to others, but also to lend a hand, to bless others, to pick up those who are falling down. And so how do we do that, friends? How do we navigate this tension that Paul lays out in just a few short words in one breath, saying you're responsible for others? No, you're responsible for yourself. I want to suggest to you that the way we do this is boundaries. 
This is the focus of today's sermon, Boundaries. The way that we make community work, the way that we know how much of someone else's burden I should be taking and how much they should be taking, uh, whether to mind my own business or to get into someone else's business, the, the way to know when to say yes and when to say no, the way to have healthy relationships is with healthy boundaries. What is a boundary? A boundary, of course, is a line that, that marks the limits of some area. Some boundaries are physical, right? Like property lines. How do I know where to stop mowing and where my neighbor Lee should start mowing? Well, we have boundaries. We have property lines around our yards. Some boundaries are physiological, like your skin. Isn't your skin amazing? It keeps bad stuff out. It keeps good stuff in. It, it marks the boundary between you and other people. And then when you feel like someone's violating that boundary, what do you say? He's getting under my skin, right? This is a boundary, a God-given boundary. Now, some boundaries are man-made, like the, the borders between countries or the state laws that we observe in this state or uh, the, the policies at your place of work. These are man-made boundaries. But we know that the very first boundaries and the very idea of boundaries comes from God. Think back to what you know about the first couple chapters of Genesis. One of the very first conversations that God had with Adam and Eve was a boundary-setting conversation. God said to them, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden except for one, except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat everything else, but don't eat from that one. You see, God is saying to humans, certain things are good for you and certain things are not good for you. And I have a desire for you that you would only experience good, that you would not have to experience evil. I want to protect you from evil. And so these are the boundaries that I'm placing around your life. Now, we know that Adam and Eve broke this boundary, don't we? They ate from the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. I don't know if you can see this painting very well. This is a painting from 1626 by an Italian painter called Domenichino, and it's called The Rebuke of Adam and Eve. And so can you see, God is saying, what'd you do? And Adam's saying, ah, oh, the woman, uh, you know, she gave me the fruit. Uh. And Eve is like, the snake, uh, he tricked me. I don't know why Adam and Eve are always Italian in my sermons. I, I love Italian people. So, so the boundaries that God set out for humanity are, are like the loving limits that parents set for their children, right? We tell our kids, our grandkids, no, you cannot have ice cream all the time. You can have it sometime, but you need to eat green beans also, right? And we set limits out of love. Healthy boundaries give us the best shot that we can have to have healthy lives. And so setting boundaries is one of the ways that God loves us. If you open up this book and notice the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, are books of law. They are books of boundaries. These are the boundaries that God has set out for his people Israel and by extension then to us, the church, to say here are the ways that I'm going to order your common life. Here are the ways that your relationships will work best. If you do these things, you will prosper. If you do these things, you will have success. You will have healthy relationships. So God says, worship me only. 
Don't create idols. Honor your parents. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey or his pickup truck or whatever. So I want you to make the connection now between God's boundaries and God's love for us. God's boundaries are one of the ways that God expresses love for us. Now, if we're honest, we would say, you know what, sometimes boundaries don't feel like love. And that's true. Sometimes they don't feel loving even when they are. So when you're a kid and your mom tells you no, you don't feel loved, right? And yet sometimes that's one of the most loving things that we can do for each other. By the way, have you noticed how children are always testing boundaries to see what they can get away with, right? That's their job, isn't it? That is how they learn. That is how they grow and understand what is right and what is wrong. And our job as their parents and grandparents, is to set those boundaries and to enforce those boundaries so that they can have healthy lives. When my son Luke was two years old and he tried to run out into the street where there was traffic and I took a hold of him and spanked his little bottom, that was the most loving thing that I could do. I'm trying to save his life. So he would know that it is not okay to run out into the street. Boundaries help create environments where human beings can thrive with God and with one another. Let's unpack this psalm that we read, Psalm 16. I want you to look with me at verse 1. Verse 1, Protect me, O God, for in You I take refuge. Friends, God is our protector. God is the one in whom we have life. That's what God was trying to do by telling Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them, look, if you eat that, you're going to die. Now, not a physical death, but a spiritual death. And they died a spiritual death, didn't they? They became separated from the God who loved them. Now, notice this. This kind of protection that we get from God doesn't always mean that we're going to be comfortable. It doesn't necessarily mean protection from all risks. You know and I know that when we agree to follow Jesus, He asks us to take some risks for His sake and for the sake of the kingdom. And so this kind of safety that the psalmist is talking about is not so much safety from risks, but safety from condemnation. We are protected from the evil one who tries to do us harm. We, we can know that even in the face of suffering and hurt and hardship, God is on our side. He's the one we go to for protection and for refuge. And so to take refuge in God is to trust God. It's to say, God, I know no one else can help me, but you can. And I love you and I trust you, O God. It is to recognize God's authority in your life that God can and should show us what is right and what is wrong. That God can and should show us what is holy and what is unholy. And in that way, shape the contours of our lives. Look at verse 2. I say to the Lord, I have no good apart from You. Friends, we know everything good comes from God. And boundaries are designed to allow us to receive what is good and not to be trapped by what is evil. Skip down then to verse 6, the last verse that we read. I love this. It's so poetic. It's so beautiful. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant 
places. You know, when we observe, when we honor our God-given boundaries, we find they're actually a blessing. And we may have resisted them at first in the same way that children resist us when we tell them no. And yet we realize this is a gift. This is a blessing. These are actually pleasant as I come to think of it because this is part of the good inheritance that we have from God. And friends, you know and I know when we get boundaries right, good stuff happens. There's peace with God. There is harmony with our brothers and sisters. Life at home is wonderful and fruitful and beautiful when we have healthy boundaries. But when we get these wrong, we've seen the consequences, haven't we? We know the results are not pretty. We know that we get separated from God. We hurt ourselves. We hurt each other. You know, the reason I was on that staff retreat with my coworkers instead of being at home with my wife who I had committed to be with while I was on paternity leave, the reason was I had bad boundaries. I had bad boundaries in that moment. I was unwilling to say no to this thing so that I could say yes to this other right thing. This is one of the manifestations of when we have bad boundaries, our unwillingness to say no. Now, we're going to talk in more detail about this on September 3rd when we're going to talk about our tendency to be people pleasers. How many of you are people pleasers? Be honest. Okay, I thought I wasn't the only one here this morning. Yeah, we have a hard time saying no sometimes, don't we? Because we want to be helpful. We want to be seen as a team player. We want people to like us. The trouble is, right, when we say yes to everything, it's a lot like saying yes to nothing because we cannot give our best selves to the things that God has called us to. Because we do have limits, don't we? There is a limit to our resources. There is a limit to our time. There is a limit to our energy. And so the question is, will we acknowledge those limits or not? Let me uh, mention two other manifestations of unhealthy or absent boundaries. I want you to see if either of these things sound familiar. One is called triangulation. You've probably uh, not heard that or used that word a lot, but undoubtedly you know what it looks like. Triangulation happens when three people are involved in a situation that really just requires two people. So this is what it looks like. Your coworker, let's call him Pete. Pete drives you crazy. You can't stand him. He's always doing annoying and inappropriate things. But instead of having an honest conversation with Pete, you go and tell your coworker, can you believe Pete? He's the worst. You have triangled a third person into this relationship rather than talking directly with Pete. Now, I know that none of you would ever do that, but in case you know someone who would, Tell them to read Matthew chapter 18 because Jesus gives an incredibly practical teaching on how we are to confront these kind of bad behaviors with one another one-on-one in the spirit of love, and it is awesome. So if you're doing your Connections Journal reading this week, you'll see it is on Tuesday that you'll be reading Matthew chapter 18. Another result of bad boundaries is what we sometimes call over-functioning. Again, probably not a term you use a lot, but you're undoubtedly familiar with it. Overfunctioners are those people who take responsibility for the things that other people should reasonably be responsible for. So this is the office worker who does everyone else's work because they just they want to be liked so much. This is the, the mom and dad 
who bail their adult son out of jail because they want to help him when maybe a good thing would be for that adult son to sit in jail for a couple nights to appreciate the gravity of his mistakes. Overfunctioners believe that if they don't do something, it's just not going to happen. And so they must do it. They have a high sense of responsibility. They often try to rescue other people and they experience resentment when they do not feel appreciated for the things that they do. Sometimes uh, we call this enabling. You've probably heard that word before. Enabling behavior is when we allow another person to continue their bad habits because we protect them from the consequences of those bad habits. So you say to your friend, oh, you spent all your money on alcohol? Okay, no problem. I'll pay your rent for you so you don't get evicted, right? That's overfunctioning. That is enabling. And that's one of the manifestations of our bad boundaries. This is just an introduction, my friends. Uh, there, there's so much more we can and will say about these things. This is the proverbial tip of the iceberg. If, if we're honest, I think most of us would acknowledge, I hope, that we can do better at setting boundaries in our lives. And we know that the fruit will be healthier relationships. So let me suggest to you that one way to start would be for us to stop believing the lie that setting boundaries is essentially a selfish thing to do. It is not a selfish thing to do. It is a good and right thing to do. The truth is setting boundaries is part of the way God has ordered this world. Part of the way God has ordered our lives and our relationships. In fact, setting boundaries is one of the most loving things that we can do for ourselves and for people we care about. Let me try to show you what this looks like. Some friends of my family uh, had a son who went to college. A great young man, a really a good guy. But when he got to college, he began to make some poor decisions. And he started partying really hard and drinking and using drugs. And pretty quickly, his life became out of control. And the worst of all of that probably was that he would lie to his parents about it. He did not tell them the truth. And so his parents did everything that they knew how to do. They sat him down and they talked to him. They gathered uh, extended family and had interventions. They, uh, they told him how much he was hurting them. They, they showed him the research that's proved, you know, if you go down this road, you're going to destroy your own life. They opened the Bible and they said, you know, son, don't, don't forget what the Bible says about these things. But the behaviors continued. And the lying continued. And the son insisted it wasn't his fault and he blamed his parents. He said, you know, if you weren't so lame, this would not be a problem and, and you're just too strict. And he did not want to take any responsibility for his life. And so it was Christmas break and the son was home from college for about a month on Christmas break and he lied to his parents again and it was a big one. It was a doozy, and they caught him right in the middle of it. And so they told him, that's it. We love you. You're done. You are out of this house. You cannot live here anymore. And he said, what? And they said, yeah, you have two hours to get your stuff, and you are out of our house. He said, you're kicking me out? And they said, yeah, we're kicking you out, because we don't allow drugs in this house. 
And we don't allow lying in this house. And we have given you opportunity after opportunity to get it right, and you haven't. And so you're out. And he said, where will I go? And they said, we don't know. (laughs) But you're 19, and you're an adult, and you figure it out. You call us when you're ready, and we hope to talk to you. But right now, you are leaving. And the young man was angry, and he was hurt. And he figured that his parents were the meanest parents in the whole world. And he packed his bag and he stormed out of the house. And as he walked out of the door, can you guess what his parents did? They wept. They cried and they cried and they cried because they loved their son so deeply. They loved him more than anything in the whole world. But they knew, they knew that unless they had done something drastic, he was just not going to change. So for a while, the young man, he stayed with one friend and then another and then another. He was, uh, he was doing some couch surfing. You know about couch surfing? It's not an Olympic event. Trust me, it is. You stay at one friend's couch until he gets tired of you. You go stay at another friend until they get tired of you. Go from place to place. His parents prayed for him every day. Three months passed. Finally, he called them. And he said, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get it. I get it now. I I have messed up my life. I I need help. Will you please help me? I would like to come back home again. If you'll let me, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes. And so they brought their son back home. And the first thing they did was sit down at the kitchen table together. And they had a serious conversation. At my house, we call that a come to Jesus meeting. You ever had one of those? They had a come to Jesus meeting. And they said, here's what's going to be allowed in this house and here's what's not going to be allowed in this house. And do you know what happened, dear friends? His life was changed. His life was transformed. His relationship with his parents began to heal and he recommitted himself to his education and got back in school. His lifestyle was healthy again. He made some new friends. His faith in God was renewed. You see, these parents understood something very, very important. If they had not kicked their son out of the house, he would not be where he is today. More than likely, he would be in jail or he would be dead. The loving boundaries that they set for him, God used to transform his life. My friends, this is how God works. This is what God does for us. God uses boundaries to transform us, to restore our relationships, even to save our lives. Let God's people say amen. amen. 